It was back in May of 2011 that the CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, was invited to come and speak to the cadets at the United States Military Academy at West Point at their Black and Gold Leadership Institute. Now, he arrived several hours early so that he could receive a tour of the grounds and and hear about the history and all the experiences and traditions of the organization. By the time he finally got up to speak, he was looking out on all these faces of young men and women that he knew were embarking on a career of service. He started to become overcome with emotion, and he started to tear up, and a lump started to rise in his throat. And he said, I know I've been asked to talk about leadership with you, but I feel like I could be the one learning from all that you're doing. It was a formative day in his life. He learned that he had become so disconnected from those who serve. There had been nobody in his family in the military, and and he really hadn't ever tried to get connected. And so really he was distant from some of the people who make the greatest impact in our country. They make a tremendous difference. And so he made a commitment that he wanted to learn more. And so... He set out, accompanied by his wife, Sherry, and they started visiting military bases and hospitals and veterans centers all across the country. They spoke to dozens and dozens of soldiers, men and women, and he was surprised to see the broad diversity, all different kinds of backgrounds, people that had military service in generation and generation after generation of their bloodlines, and people that they were the first one in their family. There were some that came from affluent families and some from very poor. There was a broad representation of of race and ethnicity and religion. But he said, after talking with all of them, I asked them all the question, why do you enlist in the military? And everyone had the same common response. They had a deep appreciation and gratitude for their country, and they wanted to give back and serve. For Howard Schultz, this would be a theme for his life, to see the connection between gratitude and giving back, between giving thanks and giving back in service. And so he made a commitment that he would be hiring 10,000 veterans or active military spouses over a period of five years. And then he challenged other CEOs and business leaders to do the same. He said that hiring veterans is not charity. It's excellent business practice because of their training, their work ethic, and their loyalty. Also, he collected all these stories that he had heard and gathered And he published a book, I talked about it last week, For Love of Country. It's a collection of stories about veterans and the impact they've made in our world, both during and after wartime efforts. One of the stories he shared was the story of David Oaklander. Lieutenant Colonel David Oaklander served as a commander over paratroops in Afghanistan and in Iraq. And while he was there, he was committed to making a difference, not just serving out his days, but truly making an impact on the world. While he was there in Baghdad, there was a man, a teacher by the name of Mustafa Hussan, 
who was accused of collaborating with the enemy and taken into custody for interrogation. Now, it quickly became apparent to all of the soldiers that were overseeing his care, including Oaklander, that this man was innocent. Not only were the allegations against him false, but this was a man of integrity, that he wanted to change his community by teaching. And so they spoke up on his behalf and testified for him and, and gained his release. But when that day came, they didn't want to just set him free. They wanted to restore him to honor in his hometown. And so they arranged for a military convoy to transport him back. It drove up into his neighborhood. And when he exited the vehicle, soldiers encircled him on all sides. And they walked with him up to his house, just like they would uh, provide that escort for a general. And when his mother and father heard all the commotion, they came running out of the house to greet him. They were so grateful that he was coming home safe and sound. In fact, the mother was so grateful and overcome with emotion that she fainted and had to be revived by some of the medics on the scene. But after everyone was okay and back on their feet... They talked about Mustafa in front of all of his family and in front of all the townspeople. They said that they had spoken with the headmaster of the school where he had taught, and they were assured that he had his teaching position still intact, that they wanted him to come and teach again. He was needed. But they were giving him two weeks off to spend with his family. And then the soldiers went on to explain you may not recognize the school when you return to it because we've renovated it. The battalion had given over 1,300 hours of work and service to transform the school. And they did that because of their connection with Mustafa. They were, uh, they were impressed by his integrity. They were overcome by his willingness and his desire to change the world through teaching. And so they were committed to helping him in that endeavor. They transformed the school, and they decided they just didn't want to release him. They wanted to be a part of the celebration of restoring him to his home. Well, after all of that was done, he was invited in. All the soldiers were invited in to eat a meal with his family and friends. And in that meal, all of them were united. David Oaklander would use that story, that experience, and share it with other troops and tell them about the importance of connecting with the people where you serve. It's important to learn their language. It's important to spend time with them and whenever possible, eat meals together. Because when you eat meals together, you grow together. He would see that Sharing a meal, breaking bread together, when you do that, you're connected. And there's a sense of gratitude that arises in the midst of that experience. And gratitude gives way to more connection, which gives way to more gratitude. And, and that's a cycle that can continue on. This week is the Thanksgiving holiday. It's a time where we can connect with our loved ones, where we can give thanks and give back. And yet sometimes, too often, we will settle for just feeling thankful rather than giving thanks. That warm, fuzzy feeling we have of thankfulness 
is supposed to spur us to activity, to spur us and remind us to give thanks to someone, to tell them thank you, or to pray to God and give thanks for all that God has done in our lives. We can't just fall back and and substitute a feeling for the action that we're supposed to do. This morning's scripture passage is talking about Holy Communion. Now, the meal itself, the word, the Greek word that refers to it is Eucharist. It's a noun that is kind of a name that some faith traditions use, just like we would use Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. Well, the fascinating thing is that noun for Eucharist is not found in the New Testament. Only the verb form of the word is found, which really emphasizes that we are to give thanks. That's what Eucharist means, thanksgiving. It's about giving thanks, not a, a feeling of or a state of being. It's the action we're called to do. Paul is writing to the people in Corinth, and he's talking about this communion meal. In that day and age, sometimes it would be a whole meal eaten together in, in someone's house, And in this experience, the people of this congregation were not treating it in a holy manner. It seems that some were jumping to the front of the line and eating their fill before the others could get there or before the last in line could get through. And they would find there was no food left and they went home hungry. And so Paul is chastising them to remind them of how Christ said these words, do this in remembrance of me. Now, if all of us are honest here, we've probably been a part of a holiday meal, maybe at our parents' house or our grandparents' house, and there's been that one dish that everyone wants to make sure that they get a part of. And for whatever reason, it's always in the smallest quantity. Now, maybe it's that pecan pie that's homemade by your grandmother And it's sitting there, one pie, in a sea of store-bought pumpkin ones. And you know there are only eight pieces in that pie, and about 25 family members gathered that day. And so what are you doing? You make sure to get there when they cut the pie. And you make sure that before you ever get the turkey and dressing, you get your piece of homemade pecan pie. Now you know that your spouse loves pecan pie too. And so out of concern and love for your spouse, you make sure to get them a piece as well. Truth is, you just didn't want to share your piece. And so you get them a second piece. Now others see what's going on. And before you know it, they're doing the same. And the pecan pie is gone before the first people were through the buffet line. That can seem like a silly kind of instance, but the truth is, too often, that same kind of sentiment pours over into our daily life, where we become so consumed with getting ours, taking care of ourselves, and making sure we have what we need. That's not what Christ wants for us. Christ came to set us free from all that would hold us back in life, We don't have to be bound and weighed down by the feelings of taking care and making sure we have everything, but we can be filled with joy at the thought of of making sure others have what they want and need. It's a better life when we put others first. This week is the Thanksgiving holiday, and it's a wonderful opportunity 
to put others first, to give thanks, and to give back. And I think there are three things that we can talk about to help us do that. First, we're called to pass on what we have received. In the scripture passage, Paul starts off by saying, For what I received from the Lord, I have delivered also unto you. In other words, the blessings and knowledge that Paul has received from God, he is sharing them openly with the people of Corinth. He's not holding that secret, keeping it to himself. He's sharing it. And that's what we're called to do. We are called to share the blessings that we receive. The the love that we receive from God is meant to be passed on. Now, it's normal during the holiday season to think of food, And I can't help but think about my grandmother, who was a wonderful cook. I don't think there was anything she couldn't make. She had lots of cookbooks, and she clipped out all these recipes that she saved. She was the type of cook that even though we lived uh, 45 minutes to an hour away from her, if she called us on a Saturday morning and said, I'm cooking breakfast, we headed right over. And there would kind of be this brunch feast that would take you through the rest of the day. There was eggs and bacon and sausage and biscuits and gravy and cantaloupe and tomatoes. It was wonderful. She was a wonderful cook. But as I think back and I think about all the roasts and cookies and pies and cakes that my grandmother made, I think the dish that stands out the most to me is her green beans. Now, that doesn't seem very special, And yet I think I remember that one most of all because there were many times that she had me help her prepare them. I remember my grandmother getting a big bushel of fresh green beans and taking me out on the back patio and we'd sit side by side and and she taught me how to snap off both ends and then to break them apart in the middle before throwing them in the pot. There's something strangely satisfying about the sound and the feel of green beans snapping in your hands. Well, then we'd rinse them off, and then my grandmother would cook up bacon and onion and and fry that together. And I tell you, if I smell that aroma to this day, bacon frying up with onions, I'm instantly transported back to my grandmother's house. Well, then she'd throw all of it together in a big pressure cooker And I'll never forget the sound and the look of that pressure regulator jumping and dancing around because of the steam and hissing on the the top of the lid, and it signaled that things were getting close. Well, I can very easily recall that in my mind. I can bring up that memory, and I can think about that at any time, but there's something more profound that happens when I experience that memory with my children. When I get fresh green beans, and I have taught them how to snap off the ends and break them apart in the middle, and I hear them ask the questions that I probably asked my grandmother, is this one okay? Is this too short, or should I go ahead and break it in half? And then we'll rinse them and fry up some bacon and onion, and we'll put them in our pressure cooker, and I'll hear that same sound of the steam escaping from the regulator. I could have just thought about it, but there's something really intimate about reliving that experience with my children, about passing it on. It connects me to my grandmother, and it connects me with my children, and it's a memory that's shared and relived in a much more meaningful way. That's what happens around the communion table. 
Now, all of us here, we could sit back and think of what Christ has done for us. But there's something profound that happens when we take the bread and and drink the juice. We are remembering and reconnecting with Christ. We are living that and passing it on. Just as it's been passed on through the generations and shared with us, so we share it with others. Natasha and Michael Bevan were born in the Soviet Union several years ago. And when they lived there, they were under a lot of persecution because both of their fathers were Christian ministers at a time when that was not allowed. And so they saw throughout their childhood their father's imprisonment several times back and forth, always under the charges of hosting an unlawful gathering, which meant they were just holding church services. Well, when Natasha graduated from high school, she wanted to go to college But when she applied, they told her that her application wouldn't even be accepted unless she renounced her faith and and joined the Communist Party. Well, it was not too long after that that her father was put into prison again, and this time it was quite a distance away from their home. They happened to know the family, the minister of the church that was near the prison, and so they contacted this family and asked if Natasha could stay with them while she was visiting her father, and they welcomed her in. And it was there that she met Michael, the son of this family, and pretty soon they fell in love and got married. They had three children and one on the way when they made the decision to leave the Soviet Union for the sake of their children. They were going to move to the United States because they wanted their children to be free from persecution, to be able to practice their faith openly, and to receive an education. When they moved here to the States, they had nothing. And so together they worked in a pizza parlor to provide for their family, and they saved, and, and they cut corners, but they took care of their family, and after years they were able to buy the restaurant where they worked. Well, over the years, their family continued to grow. Their children married and and had children of their own. But from the very beginning, even though they arrived here with nothing, one of the things that they loved best about the States was the holiday of Thanksgiving. And so from the beginning, they gathered around a table to eat a meal together, and they took turns sharing what they were thankful for, every family member. Well, they've been here in the States over 25 Thanksgivings now, and they understood the importance of passing on that tradition, passing on those stories, passing on that gratitude. And so they collected all of their stories, all of their tradition, and they published a book for their children and grandchildren and for others to understand that um, gift of gratitude and what it does in a family. Second... It's important to recognize that Christ is made known in the Thanksgiving meal. In one of the earliest appearances of Christ after the crucifixion and after the resurrection, Christ appears to two men on the road to Emmaus. Now, they don't recognize him because they're so grief-stricken, but he starts talking to them all along the way and explaining everything that has transpired and the meaning behind it. When they finally get to where they're traveling to that evening, they beg him to come in and, and stay and eat with them. And it says that he, he took the bread and gave thanks and the wine and gave thanks. And, 
It was in the breaking of the bread that their eyes were opened and he was made known to them. In the breaking of the bread, he was made known. Now, I don't think the author was just talking about a loaf of bread being torn in two. I also think he was suggesting that somehow in breaking bread together, Christ is made known to us. That when we gather as a family of faith and break bread together, when we're intentional about that, Christ is known in our midst. Now, some of you have heard us talk about Karma Kitchen. It was a, an experiment that was started in 2007 in Berkeley, California, when a group of volunteers rented out a restaurant. They provided all the food and cooked and prepared it and served it, and everybody who came had their meal paid for by someone else. So that when it came time, you ordered your meal, you received the ticket after you were done eating, and it said paid. Now, you were given the opportunity to continue on, and you could pay for someone else's meal, but there was no guilt behind it because you didn't know who paid for yours, and you didn't know uh, who you might be paying for. Well, that experiment has lasted for over eight years and has expanded to several cities around the world. Every Sunday, this is going on. And what they found is that this gratitude inspires generosity, which inspires gratitude, and so on and so on. When you're sitting in a room of people breaking bread together, and you all know that the meal was a gift, that the, the wait staff, the servers, the cooks, the dishwashers are all just volunteering their time for you, and that someone else has paid for your meal, it just inspires this sense of gratitude, and you want to give back yourself. It's what the communion meal is all about. We receive what Christ has done for us, this sacrificial love, and and our hearts can be full of this sacrificial love that we can pour out for others. When Paul is writing in the scripture passage twice, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And he's recalling his Hebrew faith, where remembrance wasn't just simply a mental exercise. It was a reconnection with an event or someone in the past. So that when the Hebrew people have been told through the centuries, remember that the Lord your God has delivered you, your ancestors from Egypt, from slavery. They understand it not just for their ancestors, but for them in that present moment as well. They have been delivered and released from captivity. The same is true when we gather for Holy Communion. It's not something that Christ instituted and we remember it as something happening way back when. It's a moment that we remember and we connect to in the present moment. And we'll pass it on to others. And third... It's important to remember that we are called to do this as often as you do in remembrance. There's a a hint that this is supposed to be often, that this is supposed to be a normal part of life, that every time we eat, every time we drink, we try to make opportunities to connect with our loved ones, to give thanks and to give back. The truth is that sometimes it can be hard to make those kind of plans, to get together, sometimes it's just easier to do it alone. 
Holiday meals can be wonderful, but sometimes they can be a hassle getting everybody together and get everything done. And so sometimes it's almost tempting to do things by ourselves. I want you to remember back the first time your parents asked you to help set the table. Now, if you were really young, let me tell you, you weren't being asked because you were actually going to be helpful. The time it takes to teach a young child to set the table and, and, and maybe clean up any spills or answer all the questions, somebody can do it twice as fast on their own. The reason you were asked was to connect with you and to help you connect with the experience of the meal, to help you give back in your own way, to help you understand that life is better together and when we are able to give back for others. When Lieutenant Colonel David Oaklander faced retirement, he had lots of options that would have been easy for his life, that would have been financially beneficial for his family. He could have been out of danger and and really enjoyed all the experience he had. He could have uh, gotten defense contracts or worked in the corporate world or become a consultant. But he wanted to do something that really gave back in a powerful way for him, and that was teaching. He wanted to become a teacher, and then he ultimately became a principal in an inner-city school in Chicago. In one of the most dangerous areas, it was uh, full of gang violence and drug and alcohol addiction, he became a teacher at this special high school. The other teachers there were worried about him because he had never been a teacher before, they said, you know, we've know, we know that you've had combat, but you've never been with teenagers like this. But he knew that the key for him was connection, to get to know these teens, to know their lives. And so he started hanging out with them. He started attending some of their classes, going to where they would play after school and, and going to some of their homes. On one occasion, he went to a phys ed class And one of the boys there started giving him, you know, a hard time, started hassling him. This boy's name was Dennis Martyr, and he was a young man who had been in and out of trouble over the years. And so he was starting to kind of give Oaklander just kind of a hard time, and he challenged him to a push-up contest. Now, this young man was quite sure that he could totally be a middle-aged man, And so he did 40 push-ups, but Oaklander did 60. After that, uh, Dennis was a little bit more willing to listen to Oaklander, and they started this kind of friendship, and Oaklander found out about Dennis's life. He discovered that his father had been one of the largest drug dealers in Chicago and had been in and out of prison and been out of Dennis's life. He found that he lived in one of the roughest neighborhoods right on the border between two rival gang neighborhoods. And when he was eight years old, he looked out his window and he saw members of one gang shoot and kill someone from the other gang. They looked up and they saw him seeing that he was a witness and they started shooting at him and bullets just missed him by inches. Over the years, he wasn't sure what was possible for him But his mom and his stepfather really believed in him and encouraged him, and they enrolled him in this high school where he met David Oaklander. Oaklander encouraged him to think about the military as a possible way to get his education, and Dennis was agreeable to that. 
But Oaklander continued to challenge him, and he said, I want you to think of West Point. Now, for Dennis, he thought, there's no way I'm ever going to get in West Point, but I'll apply because it'll make my mom and stepfather proud of me that I just tried. Well, sure enough, he got in. And he's been there, appointed at West Point for over a year now. And on one of his first occasions of leave, he didn't tell anybody that he was coming home, none of his family. He contacted David Oaklander, who helped him arrange a huge meal with both families all there. And in the middle of the meal, in walks Dennis and surprises everyone. One of the greatest surprises that we can have when we break bread together is that Christ walks in is in our very midst. This season, we have the opportunity to gather together, to connect with our family and friends. We have an opportunity to be surprised by the fact that Christ is made known in our midst And more than anything, I want to challenge all of us to give thanks and to give back. It's in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each one of us lift up our own silent prayers.